Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Josh Neighbors here on the Neighborhood Watch. It is Sunday, September 17th. 2023 and on this edition of the neighborhood watch big wins for BYU and West Virginia yesterday on Saturday we'll talk about those once again this is crystal ball college football part of the 365 sports network I am your host Josh neighbors make sure you guys subscribe to the channel also find us wherever you guys get your podcast at nw365 is where you can find us on twitter at Josh neighbors underscore is where you all can find me. So I think about these weekend recap shows that I'm doing. I I might break them up differently. Uh, well, at least for the, you know, we're doing non-conference. So it's like kind of the wins and the losses will go well together because as soon as we have the conference play, you'll get both the wins and the losses. But maybe it's almost a positives and negatives type deal. So we'll explore that idea. But here in non-conference, let's go with positives and negatives. And let's go with positives. And I know the BYU result last night was kind of the crazier one, but the West Virginia result last last night to me was maybe the more important when it talks about long-term or even short-term because – actually, honestly, maybe short-term because I think about who is, like, on the hot seat. Dana Holgerson and, uh, and TC – or excuse me, Dana Holgerson and Houston kind of get smashed last night against TCU – in the first conference game, 36-13, and he and Neil Brown were the coaches that we've all been talking about as on the hot seat. Well, I think about this result right here, West Virginia 17, Pittsburgh 6, and I'm still not confident that Neil Brown maintains his job. I will say this, though. He has coached his way, in my opinion, back onto the hot seat. I thought Neil Brown was in such trouble from a general coaching perspective that I was like, his seat's not even hot. He's basically done. That's not the case. He's now back fighting for his job. Don't get me wrong. Like, this is a really good win. This is a very good win for their program. But also, don't get me wrong in the sense of this is nowhere nowhere near enough, in my opinion, for Neil Brown to save his job. But here's what I will say last night. C.J. Donaldson went for 100 yards, eventually goes down. I know Jalen Anderson was not fantastic, but Garrett Green goes down. Nico Markell comes in, was not amazing, was not super, like, you know, just whatever. But six for nine for 60 yards, throws a touchdown. West Virginia's defense picks off Phil Jerkovic three times. And the one thing that I've criticized Neil Brown for at West Virginia is this. They have been off and on with having an identity. That was not the case. And I also think, too, like Penn State got the better of them, sure. But I thought West Virginia showed some resiliency and toughness going there on the road, going into this season as their first game, when there's a lot of questions being asked right now about the program and a lot of questions right now being asked about Neil Brown. A lot of questions being asked about their roster. We all saw that Athlon quote that said West Virginia is playing with a roster 
of guys from the Mac, basically, right? That was kind of the, um, you know, that was kind of the the storyline heading into the year. And look, uh, this is not one of the better rosters in the Big 12, but they did put on a really strong team, tough performance last night. They get five tackles for a loss. They limited the amount of tackles for loss from uh, Pitt. They limited the amount of mistakes that were happening on their own end. And it was a fantastic defensive performance. Both teams had 211 total yards of offense, but West Virginia was a bit better in the margins. And we talk about turnovers in this game. Uh, the turnovers were three to one in favor of Pitt. They had more turnovers. Time possession was won by West Virginia. The uh, penalties, nine for 65 to four for 52. You won in that category as well. You ran for more yards in this game. Their passing game was not dynamic, but it was a little bit more efficient. Uh, they didn't throw for more yards once again, but they did get a passing touchdown. So in a dogfight type situation against a rival, you've got to give Neil Brown some credit. And here's the thing, guys. Like I know Pitt's got some rivalries across the region. I saw it twice happen. They took care, and I know Virginia Tech's down, but they beat Virginia Tech twice. Neil Brown should probably have that win against Pitt last year as well, too. And so you think about this, like recent memory, uh, uh, Neil Brown's been pretty good against some of these schools that we consider as strong rivals for West Virginia. So I want that to be considered here. Now, once again, let's revisit like tough road to hoe. And, and uh, Garrett Green, I'm not sure if we heard about his status. Obviously, when you saw him go down, you knew it was a lower leg injury, right? But he leaves the yeah, leg injury. So he's out of that game. And Nico Markiel steps in. But this offense, you know, it's going to have some problems. But I think we have to say this, that Neil Brown's team persevered because Garrett Green is the better guy. And we saw last week when Cincinnati played Pitt, the best way to attack Pitt was with a running quarterback and a running quarterback, a quarterback who can make the occasional throw. Well, Garrett Green does fit that profile a bit better, in my opinion, uh, than Nico Markiel does at this point in time. And I think Garrett was kind of the perfect antidote, uh, you know, antidote for that, that Pitt team. And um, they lose him early on in the game. It's switched up the game plan. But they stick with it. They stay tough. And that West Virginia crowd last night got to credit the crowd. They were absolutely unreal from start to finish. And I've said this a bunch. West Virginia fans have not always seen eye to eye. You all know about my situation, about why I'm now here at Crystal Ball College Football when the Bob Huggins situation was going on. But I will tell you what, the one thing, you know, that, that conversation was a difference of opinions. And I was criticizing Bob Huggins, you know, really making the point about like, I think if you look at how old he is and what he is saying and the way that we're seeing recent coaches retire and whatnot, you know, Coach K, Roy Williams, Jay Wright, that maybe modern college basketball is not for Bob Huggins anymore and West Virginia could make a change. And a lot of folks from West Virginia were really respectful. They're like, Josh, we understand, but we want to explain to you all what he means to our school. And you all came out in droves. This is even before the, the issue. Basically, not taking Bob Huggins' side, but making the points. And this, this fan base is so loyal. They are, not, I'm not saying to a fault. I'm saying so loyal, so supportive. Uh, my guy Kuz, we've I've talked to him a bunch, you know, about this team, and you all, everybody's an optimist, sure, but you all have fought for your team tooth and nail, despite the fact that in recent memory it's not been the easiest. 
But you all, you know, and I know the financial situation there at West Virginia is not fantastic. And that's partially why Neil Brown still has a job at this point in time. But the West Virginia fans, no matter what, have been fighting, no matter what the basketball stuff, no matter what the football stuff. And you all have been very supportive and you all were loud last night. We all heard it, heard it during Sweet Caroline. And uh, each shit pit was was loud and clear. And I don't think this pit team is going to be that good this year. Uh, I don't know if West Virginia is going to be that good. But at least for right now, I know they lost by 23 in Happy Valley, but the effort was 100% there. They came back and rallied against Duquesne last week, and then they beat Pitt. And now, look, like I don't like their chances this week without Garrett Green and especially without C.J. Donaldson when they go up against Texas Tech this weekend at home. But still, this is – this is a stand. West Virginia, you know, I, I was wondering before the season, and I was wrong about this, guys. I'll, I'll already say it now. I was wondering, heading into the season, if we could be looking at a situation where on September 30th, West Virginia is heading to TCU and to then the, uh, the uh, two weeks on that Thursday night, Houston, at maybe some point in that bye week with an interim coach. Uh, I do not believe that's going to be the case anymore. This team is fighting. This team is working. They're having to work through some adversity. But I will tell you this. If if this is their identity, and that's what they prove throughout the season, and they make it a manageable season, they make it six and six, and they make it through a bowl game, and, and we see enough throughout the year, there is an argument with all the circumstances going on that Neil Brown could keep his job if they show an identity of toughness that looks like it is something that they can maintain, because that has been my biggest complaint is a lack of identity. And if this is what it's going to be smash mouth running the football, and I need to have the mobile quarterback to, to kind of mix it in there too. But I'll tell you what, man, I, I, I DM Coos last night and I told him, I, I said, Coos brother, I'm having fun watching West Virginia's offense because Look like, you know, some of the stuff was was pretty bland running the football, but we talked about Andy Kotelnicki at Kansas and the way they move the rock. West Virginia's scheming it up. They are finding different ways to run the rock right now, and I think it's fun to do. I think it's fun to see, and, and I know there's been a big conversation about uh, Neil Brown and play calling, but, like, he's going out of the shield, man, and I appreciate that. I know it was not a great offensive performance, but I can't say enough good things about what we saw from the West Virginia Mountaineers last night and the toughness that they showed. I know it's one night in September. The team might not have been that good, but in the year where you're at Penn State and you get pit at home, you split those two games despite everything going on, and you've got a little bit of momentum now. And you've got a chance to win three straight games, and I do not think a three-game win streak was going to be in the cards for West Virginia this season. It's a tough opponent who rallied yesterday in Texas Tech, but the opportunity for them is there. All right, let's talk about BYU. So the reason why I wanted to do BYU second is because uh, I think Kalani Sataki is going to have plenty of big wins, and I hope he has plenty of big wins as a head coach in the Big 12 Conference. But this big win was resounding because I just mentioned like the kind of the hard-nosed toughness that we saw, and there was some of that from BYU last night in their victory over Arkansas in Fayetteville, 38-31. But this was just a understanding that games have ebbs and flows and they they had an opponent i think they scouted i think pretty well and knew where some of the deficiencies were and they took advantage they were the more opportunistic team last night you could just tell 
when BYU tied the game up, I was texting uh, David Basil, played linebacker at Arkansas, because that's where I am right now, 103.7 The Buzz, where I work in Central Arkansas. And so this game, to me, was the meeting of the worlds. It was BYU. It was Arkansas. It was all of that together. It's, it's kind of the, the two things that I cover. And there were points where it looked like Arkansas was going to run away with the game. And there were and actually that happened multiple times. There were points where it looked like BYU might have run away with the game. And later in the game, they could have put it away, but Arkansas still had opportunities. BYU just kept themselves in the game. And uh, I think mentally, too, because this was not a really strong, like the passing attack last night was not the most efficient in the world, right? Uh, they allowed a punt return for a touchdown. They didn't run the ball that well. LJ Martin, the freshman, had a nice game, but it seemed like BYU was always making the bigger plays, right? And their defense did one thing really well. You all know I like to cite certain stats. Did you get the, uh, the other team's offense off the field? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes. In a game where you were outgained by a margin of 424 yards to 281, so we're basically talking about a 140-yard gap right there, uh, what was the fourth down situation like? BYU 4 of 13, not great. Arkansas was 2 of 13 on fourth down, or third down, rather. That is an exceptional night at the yard on third down, getting off the field. Did you win the penalty battle? Arkansas committed 14 penalties for 125 yards. BYU, just seven for 45. And then Arkansas, how many turnovers? Arkansas had two. BYU had one. Now, I know the late turnover, the final one was that fumble late in the game they picked up in the end. So it's basically one one the entire way, but you forced the big one, right? And so the big plays came from BYU really when they needed them. L.J. Martin breaks that big TD run early on in the contest, and that gets you back on the board, and then L.J. punches one more in after that, right? So you tie up the game, and you're able to – you know, you, you, I mean, the runs were just crazy because you had this section where Arkansas goes touchdown. They return BYU's punt for a touchdown. We're less than five minutes in the game, and BYU punts, and Arkansas's got the ball up 14, but BYU forces a punt. They score. BYU forces another three-play drive, which results in a punt. Then, uh, then another one after that. There were it was a six-play drive at that point in time, but they forced. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, five consecutive punts in that first half. That's what allowed BYU's offense to go one play, forty-five yards, and a touchdown. Ten plays for seventy yards and a touchdown. And then uh, you know they had the fumble later on in the half, which set things up. But like they were hitting. Uh, important special teams plays that put them in good positions. They were hitting long runs that we saw the explosive plays held them out. They were picking up some critical conversions. I mean, I thought Arkansas had regained momentum, but then BYU gets them off the field at fourth and one at the 50 yard line where they stuff Rashad Binion. Uh, and that was huge because BYU goes down and look, they, they were down 31 21 at that point because Arkansas gets a touchdown at the start of the third quarter. BYU getting that massive field goal just to get some mo help because here's here's the three straight drives after the Arkansas touchdown in the second half. Seven plays, 22 yards, turnover run downs, followed by a field goal. Then a six-play drive, which results in an interception. BYU goes uh, one play, 20 yards after that. They score a touchdown. Arkansas, seven plays, 40 yards, missed field goal. Okay, what do you do after that? You take advantage, 38-31 BYU. So BYU was the more opportunistic team all night. 
cashing in on those mistakes from Arkansas, whether it be, and basically that turnover on downs, you know, it functions essentially as a turnover, right? I know the fumble, um, I'm not sure if the fumble late in the game, I guess, I don't think BYU picked that up. I, for, I forgot how that went. Let's see. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that last play was the one where he loses the ball and a, a lineman picks it up and takes it or whatever. And it was yeah illegal, whatever. So that turnover on downs, you know, as, as a turnover, I believe they count those in the official box score um, was huge. Like that is what it was. And so BYU, I, I have to give Kalani Sataki a lot of credit because there's the toughness that West Virginia showed. And like, that was more the toughness they showed. I, they never quit in that game against Penn state. Even when they're getting beat badly, they never quit. They never rolled over. And that was important. And last night, that was all hard-nosed toughness that was saying, we don't care about what's happening on our end. We're playing our rival at home. We're going to win. This was more of a, all right, we're accepting we're in a difficult environment. We're accepting it's at night. There will be mistakes made by us. We have to rebound, though, and create opportunities. And when they make mistakes, we have to pounce. And that was what BYU did all night. And I thought Keaton Slovis looked really good at times. I thought he looked uh, pretty average at, at some points. But they get the... Uh, the trick play where they throw a touchdown, they throw three touchdowns in the evening, in a passing of 204 yards on 14 and 26. Once again, not the most efficient evening. They had the crazy one-handed catch that was in the end zone. That was absolutely, uh, you know, it was a, it was a great, um, it was a great throw. But you see Parker Kingston, the freshman wide receiver, throwing for a touchdown. Like that was a, I mean, absolutely massive play on that. But yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I was really impressed. And they had four sacks. And they had six tackles for loss, and they were in the backfield. They were active last night. That Arkansas offensive line is a huge weak point for them, and they exploited that, and they did. And it felt like they were creating some pressure, and it felt like K.J. Jefferson all night was uncomfortable. And the one thing is, too, is that if you bring enough pressure, there are times where quarterbacks like that – I think K.J. is pretty good, too. There are times like that where K.J. – is going to get happy feet even in a clean pocket because it's hard when you're getting pressured as much as he does to discern what's going to happen. You don't trust that offensive line. It is harder to stay in there. And I thought KJ looked a little nervous, a lot nervous at times, and they were they impacted that. He still had a nice night at the yard, uh, but they bottled him up running the football. Once again, those four sacks helped as well. And, uh, you know, A.J. Green really uh, kind of kicked their ass, uh, especially early in the game. But um, they were able to just – they roll with the punches, roll with the punches, roll with the punches, got the big stops in the end, and BYU picks up. You know, And once again, the question for a lot of these new schools is, all right, can you maintain it, right? They played Sam Houston, they played Southern Utah. But at next Saturday, you, know, you go and you play Kansas on the road. And so now we're talking about the Big 12 as a league where it's like, look, remember what at KU used to mean? All right, let's relax. All right, let's breathe. That is no longer – what this big 12 is anymore you now have to go from game planning for kj jefferson and company to now going and game planning for uh jalen daniels devin neal daniel Hyshaw, a creative offense and so we'll see but but so far so good ucf and byu are checking the boxes and i would say out of the new schools advantage byu because we knew that this school's got some grown men but here's the thing guys parker kingston freshman lj martin freshmen they had a couple freshmen step up and make absolutely massive plays so we talk about that grown man strength and some of those grown men that BYU has they did exert a lot of that on the offensive line of Arkansas with their defensive line with the number of sacks and TFLs they had last night 
we talk about big offensive plays, LJ Martin scores a couple, Parker Kingston throws for one. Both those guys are technically, as we call them, youngins. I don't know that either of them, those guys have done their mission, but to see those guys who are freshmen make those kinds of plays is really impressive. And, you know, for BYU, man, 3-0, and it's a great place to be. Conference play might tell us something else, but if you can go and beat what I think is a pretty decent Arkansas team on the road, hey, there are a lot of environments across the country that are tough, and there's some tough ones in the Big 12. Fayetteville at night is not an easy place to play, so this win should give them confidence in that category when they go and take on, you know, Kansas has become a tougher environment. They have to go to TC, they have to go out to Texas, they have to go to West Virginia, we already mentioned on this show, to go to Oklahoma State tough environments, but this might've been the toughest environment they'll face all season at this point. Uh, you know, to, when we look forward, so great win for Kalani Sataki's bunch in this game. All right. Uh, also on this, uh, ledger, other big 12 wins that happened over the course of the weekend, there really weren't too many more that were super resounding across the board. A lot of losses. We'll get to those in a, a separate show, but Texas slow start, Wyoming was ready. You knew there was going to be a letdown. And I told you guys on Friday, I didn't like laying 30 points. Uh, Quinn Ewers was not very impressive, but Jonathan Brooks was carrying the ball 21 times for 164. Xavier Worthy breaks that big, disgusting touchdown on the sideline where he cut, did the fake cut inside and kept going. That was really impressive stuff from Xavier Worthy. So uh, Texas 31, Wyoming 10, uh, Oklahoma 66, Tulsa 17. Dylan Gabriel throws for five touchdowns. He might have heard us talking about the potential for Jackson Arnold to eventually come in. Good Lord, did he look good? I know it was Tulsa, but 66-17 for them. Baylor was not too impressed with the effort against LIU, but still with a delay and everything, they get a 30-7 win. Still just not, uh, not enough from this team. I mean, they still let LIU run for five yards of carry on them, which uh, to me is not, not excellent, but still that game 30-7. Uh, overall for them picking up the victory also on the board UCF 48 uh, Villanova 14 Timmy McLean comes in and looks sharp albeit against an FCS opponent ground game 251 yards rushing 4.6 a tote and four scores on the ground and McLean looked like he could scoot a little bit too RJ Harvey cashes in twice as does Jordan McDonald easy work for UCF they are now three and oh also, Texas Tech 41, Tarleton State uh, 3. This was a palate cleanser in this game for uh, for Texas Tech, who put up 24 points. It was 24-0 in that first half. The running game showed up for them. I think it's something they wanted to establish. They made a point of that. Taj Brooks goes for 158 yards on the ground. They're not too many eyes on this one, obviously, because other Big 12 games were going on. K uh, in a late-night game, Kansas – 31, Nevada 24. Still, I've mentioned this before too, guys. Still remnants of kind of old KU, right? I mean, with, with you know, 10 minutes left in this game, this was a 24-all football game. This game was tied multiple times. It was, it was tied going into the halftime. But every single time KU needed the touchdown drive, they did. They did it with explosive plays. And I want you all to listen to these drives. Nine plays, 75 yards, five minutes. 13 plays, 47 yards, field goal, five minutes. 11 yards, 84 plays, 441. Two plays, 75, 30, uh, 30 some seconds, 975, 417. 
Kansas has a way of manipulating the clock and not saying they're trying to run out the clock on Nevada, but a game that was tied with 1037 to go after a seven minute drive, you go on a, uh, four, you know, 60 or a nine play 75 yard touchdown drive, Kansas three and oh, I know Nevada's not that good and Illinois not, might not be very good, but I'll take this on the road because KU has been vulnerable at certain moments. And this is one of those, but you've got stars in the backfield. And I'm not saying these guys had excellent nights, but overall four touchdowns between Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw will get the job done in most games in situations like this. The defense needs to be a little bit better. They got to shore some things up on that end. You can't allow Nevada to be seven for 15 on third down. That will not go very well. But still, you get the victory, you pack it up, you go home. And that's more than a lot of Big 12 teams this week can say against lower-level competition. So we have to be mindful of that, too. TCU, um, we'll mention this in the, in the next show because week one, the vibes are good around Houston, bad around TCU. That's flipped. Week three, TCU vibes uh, climbing. Houston vibes low. Definitely low for sure. Monday's show, we will break down the losses from the weekend because, boy, I mean, K-State, tough loss. Iowa State, tough loss. Cincinnati, tough loss. Oklahoma State gets embarrassed. Houston, bad situation. So there's a lot to get to in the loss category. But the positives, a lot of big positives. Shout out Pitt. Shout out BYU, or West Virginia, rather. Shout out BYU for big victories. That will do it for today's show. Make sure you follow us on X slash Twitter at NWPod365. You guys can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore as well. All right, folks, we'll see you next time.